Hello, I'm your host, Megan Kenny, and you are tuning in to the Lifting the Fog podcast, a podcast that hopes to become a collection of conversations offering support and connecting individuals affected by childhood cancer. Thank you for tuning in and listening to today's episode, which is a very special one because it's our very first episode, which is super exciting. Today's guest is a good friend and coworker, Amy Bogus. Um, Amy and I in this episode are just beginning to scratch the surface on our personal relationships and connections to pediatric cancer um, and our hopes for the future of this podcast. So please enjoy and don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LiftingTheFog1. You can also email us at LiftingTheFog1 at gmail.com because we want to hear from you with your questions, your concerns, thoughts, ideas for future conversations. And please subscribe, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, but subscribe and rate us. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy. Hello. We're live. We're starting. So this is our first episode of Lifting the Fog podcast. I'm your host, Megan Kenny, joined by my co-host, beautiful, pregnant, (laughs) (laughs) amazing Amy Bogus. Hello. Hi, Amy. Hello, everyone. Hi. So, Amy, I just feel like today, this conversation, our first episode, we should just talk about why we're doing this our hopes for this podcast, a little bit about who in the world we are. Yes, I love it. Okay. So, kind of where did this whole project start was Donna, who is one of our mentors at the Children's Hospital where we work, um, kind of put this idea in our heads. So I guess maybe before we even talk about the podcast, like who are we and what do we do? Mm-hmm. So, my name's Megan Kenny, and I work with Amy in a um, pediatric hematology oncology outpatient clinic um, at a children's hospital in downtown Indianapolis. So, Amy and I, we meet families pretty soon after probably the worst day of their life, mm-hmm. initial diagnosis. Um, so, they've been told that they, they have a cancer diagnosis, and then Amy and I We'll, we'll meet them and kind of just figure out what school can look like for that kiddo and that family. And everybody's um, plan is pretty different and unique to them, depending on their treatment plan and how they're feeling. And um, so we just kind of walk that journey with them. Yes. Um, and my name's Amy. I am co-hosting with Megan today. I'm her guest, <laughs> if you will. Um, but same... You're my long-standing co-host. <laughs> We're hosts same, in this together. Um, same, same job I'm doing. We both specifically started with this population almost four years ago now. And um, we've just noticed along the way that when these kids are diagnosed with cancer, um, it changes not only their lives, but the family, the siblings. Um, school looks very different And then there's also what happens after cancer. Um, And there's so many other components besides just creating a school plan. It's um, touching base with mental health and how we can keep them connected psychosocially and, um, you know, keep keep them going while they're going through a very significant hard time in their life. 
um, so we can get them hopefully into remission and back into school and back to living life even though not probably the same life that they were living before that, but, um, you know, something new and something maybe even better and more hopeful for the future. So we do a lot of things with schools, um, such as, you know, creating and working together with working on plans, such as 504 plans, IEPs, which I'm sure we'll go in more depth on what that is if you all aren't familiar with what an IEP looks like. Um, we just help, honestly, families and children and schools navigate their school journey while they're going through treatment. Um, so we just wanted to be able to share some things that we've seen and also give everybody a chance to also share with us what it truly means to have cancer. What does that feel like as a child, as a student, as an adolescent? Um, and from even parents' perspective or perspectives or some of our physicians, too, what it you know, what are their goals? What, what do they see? Um, and, and what are some new things that are coming up even from a medicine perspective? So hopefully we'll be able to use this podcast to share some of those things um, with, with everybody. Definitely. And so Amy and I are both licensed teachers, special ed licensure, mm-hmm. um, and neither one of us really worked in a school. I mean, like I student taught, I taught preschool for a while. You worked at the deaf school for a while, but Mm -hmm. I mean, most of our teaching career has been here, which is so wild because certainly when I started school for elementary education, I did not think I would end up in a hospital setting. It's pretty different and unique. And, um, I definitely, like Amy was saying, you know, a lot of our jobs, so we're, our title is educational liaison, so and we are a liaison between a family's a family, a patient, and their medical team, and then school. Um, but so, I definitely, you know, as each year goes by and we work with this population more, I can understand why sometimes schools have no idea yes. how to support these kids because I know in my training. And college career and even special ed training, no, nothing. Nothing about kids with chronic illnesses and how to support them. No. Um, So, and I would definitely say a lot of, you know, the struggles in our role is getting communities and schools to understand what these kids are going through. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, and like ideally, I know you feel the same. It'd be so wonderful if we shifted how teachers were trained so that they did get more education education on how Mm -hmm. to support a kid with a chronic illness and I know Amy you have worked with so we've been in this oncology um, outpatient clinic now for three years Mm -hmm. which was this little project baby dream yes that you had for a long time I think that the school program has had but Mm -hmm. that you really had had and really um, you know so much of, because our hospital's a non-for-profit, so, so much of what we are able to do in the jobs here are because of donors. Mm-hmm. And so we, our program had a donor that was like, hey, we want to give and give to your school program, um, but do something different and unique. And so, Amy, I know that you were the first to say, what about? Yeah. <laughs> what about outpatient? <laughs> because mo- the history of our school program in this particular hospital and I know from working across the nation with teachers in the hospital setting is a lot of inpatient acute care where teachers in a hospital setting 
um, are meeting kids at bedside and um, doing instruction and kind of keeping them up to speed so then when they discharge, it's a smooth transition. Um, And I know you know, um, you know, just go through networking and going to conference once a year that a lot of those programs too nationwide are super small, like one, maybe two teachers for a whole hospital, which is wild and crazy. We now at our hospital have like, I think 11 11. of us, which Mm -hmm. is, which is it's huge. Huge compared even when to I started. It was yeah. like two and a half technically. Yeah, somebody was part time, so we've grown, which is great. Yes, um, and fact check me, but I feel like we've got to be in the top handful of hospitals as far as like a robust program. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Don't mind us as we work out the kinks, and there's a, a phone, phone call. There's a phone call in, in the background. Office. No worries. Um, <laughs> But so, like we were saying, like, you know, nationwide and certainly the history of our school program, it's been inpatient, acute, yes. acute needs. Um, so, you know, I know, Amy, you were a part of the dreamers that thought this is bigger. Chronic illness affects kids way outside of this hospital setting. Yeah. They're living with this. They're trying to navigate through life throughout this. And we need to be meeting these families in an outpatient setting. And so... Uh, that's the yes. this this program was born, which has been amazing, and I hope it continues to grow because there's so many right now. You know, we're just specifically with oncology in the hematology oncology unit, um, and we are working. We have a teacher. I also do cystic fibrosis clinic, but you know, we're just tapping into some of the higher need clinics. But there's, I mean, you could go into so many other clinics: asthma, developmental peds. Um, rheumatology, things like that. So the hope is to grow in outpatient. But with the history of why we started with oncology is because there were so many phone calls to the inpatient teachers that these families were being met inpatient, but then they would go over to clinic and something that we maybe set up for them or you know we thought was in a good spot didn't get carried on, carried through by school. Um, so, you know, clinic would be calling the inpatient teachers trying to say, like, help, you know, can you come help this family? And then... When, yeah, like, you guys set this up, but they're not... It's yeah, not school's getting not following through. it, yeah. or we don't know how to do this, we need help, you know, things like that. So it was stretching staff pretty thin just because we were trying to navigate the outpatient needs, but we didn't have the staff over there. So it was... Um, a long time coming, which was amazing when our, we had an amazing, generous donor basically say, do something that's different in your program, and I'll give you the money. And so jokingly, like you said, it was like, oh, ha, 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 let's get a meet him in like yes. less than a month, which Came is amazing. Came and said, I think that he had, you know, a personal impact by our children's yes. hospital to his family and yep. wanted to give and wanted to give to the school program. And like I said earlier, it was like, but I want to do, let's do something different and unique. And so Amy shimmied over to outpatient and um, a year after I did. Um, Because I definitely needed the help. Yes. And also just like we, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with what inpatient outpatient means, but it does crack me up sometimes when I talk about this stuff with my husband and he's like, wait, what? Um, And you're like, oh yeah, sorry, I just live in this world and I assume. Um, But so inpatient, obviously like you're, you're in the hospital and you're, you're staying the night. You're here um, on a, on a unit 
probably and hopefully designated to the specific reason and needs that you're here in the hospital, but mm-hmm. you're, you're overnight here outpatient is coming to a clinic. You see your physician, um, go over to the infusion side, get your chemotherapy and you can go home. Yes. And lots of our kids, you know, depending on their treatment plan, um, get chemo. Of course, inpatient and lots of outpatient. Mm-hmm. So a lot um, of back and forth sometimes, too. Yeah. So a lot of, um, you know, our kids come into clinic a lot of times. They'll go to the um, provider side. They'll, they'll meet with their oncologist and maybe the pharmacist and maybe a nutritionist and maybe mm-hmm. social work and then us. And then they'll shimmy over to the infusion side where they'll sit for, you know, hours. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe five minutes, but lots lots of times those kids are, yeah, Mm -hmm. are there for a full days getting, getting chemo. And Mm -hmm. so Amy and I are just kind of bebopping all over clinic, Mm -hmm. meeting families, following up. Um, and some of the specific things that we're, you know, following up. So when Megan explains, okay, there's inpatient, outpatient, the one thing that we're not doing that's different from the inpatient teachers is we're not providing that bedside instruction at this time. There could maybe be opportunities down the road for those kids who do sit and get chemo, you know, for hours that maybe somebody would be working with them if they felt up to it. But our biggest focus in the outpatient setting, because they're only there for a window of time and then go home within that same day, um, is just to really make sure their school plan is working well and they have everything set up that they need. So whether it was Megan and I that set up, you know, a school plan or maybe something, you know, homebound services, which are services that um, a school provides a teacher to send out to the home, just making sure that's going well and that, you know, the, the, the plan is in place. Because often, unfortunately, there's a lot of bumps in the road and it takes time and time again discussing school plans with not only the family but the schools um, and to really make sure that they understand. So we are doing a lot of um, outreach to the community and working with the schools too to say like, hey, you know, we set this up and we're not seeing a result. Family is saying, you know, nobody's coming out to the house or whatever it may be. Um, So we're doing a lot of conversations and um, discussions and meetings and things with families and schools. And our inpatient teachers do the same. We also visit schools if we need to. We participate in case conference and things. Um, But they are... They try to really focus on what is happening while they're inpatient. Um, You know, things with attendance, homework, um, making sure if there's a new diagnosis to get that information to school and what they need when they return. And then Megan and I get to kind of work on the long-term piece of, okay, now that some things have been set up if they started inpatient... We now get to see what the follow-up is um, really till the end of treatment and make sure that they get what they need, those kiddos. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of advocating. Yeah, um, and so and cancer kids go through periods of not going to school for a really long mm-hmm. time, like months, years, mm-hmm. um, and then transitioning. So they're going, you know, most of our kids on treatment for sure, are at this, like, an intermittent part-time schedule. So what does that look like? And then our school's even following through with that. Um, This morning, I just got off the phone with a mom whose child is transitioning into eighth grade after four years of 
not being in, in the school setting at all. She had AML, so a type of leukemia. She relapsed. She had a stem cell transplant, which means, you know, stem cell transplant after that, you can, they're, they have no immunity. So yeah. they're home and isolated for a year. So this specific child for four years has been isolated in home and not in school um, and has a lot of anxiety about returning. And, you know, we did what we thought was a lot of thorough meetings and steps to get her a good plan. And then, you know, late last night at 6.37, mom's calling me crying, saying it it went awful and that they dropped the ball and call me when you can. And so this morning I've been, you know, talking to that principal and and trying to figure out what's going on. But mom said to me today, and you were sitting right there, Amy, so you heard her say, it's pretty crazy that through all of this, through this whole cancer journey, school, this has been the most stress. And I think we forget, because a lot of times people will say, you know, I try to explain my job to people, and I know you're probably the same when you explain what you do, and people will say, like, oh my gosh, don't, you know, why not just worry about getting better in school? Is it even important? But school is their life. It's their life. It's their job. It's, it's what makes them feel like a normal kid. Mm -hmm. Um, it's way more important than we can even probably even understand we're teachers, but we're not them. We're not adolescent kids going through this. So essentially part of the healing process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Most kids of all ages. I mean, littles to all the way up to, you know, seniors and even college students. We work with some of the college students, too, if we, yeah. if, if we see some of them. But it's, you know. And, it, I mean, do you, I don't know what your school history career was like. Like, if you have fond memories of middle school, would you say you do in high school? I would say I did, but I also, when I say that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I had such a good group of friends, and I like I loved school. That's it's probably yeah. I'm a teacher, but I mean, I still can't imagine. Like, I try to put my myself in their, their shoes. shoes, especially the girls, like middle school, high school, and I can't imagine getting a cancer diagnosis. And just like from an image standpoint, especially from today's world, there's so much social media that kids have to also battle with. Um, that can be pro and cons to situations like this but like you you think they can draw support from their social media outlets or or it can be vice versa and rumors start spreading and what's going on with so-and-so yeah you know then the piece of losing your hair and you know their image changes there you know especially for the girls and I I just think that's hard I can't imagine like going through that and so you got to be able to have support yeah from somewhere I I hated middle school, and honestly, I didn't really love high school. <laughs> I mean, in high school, I did, because middle school is, I moved. I moved from Michigan to Indiana. I was the new kid, and it was so, it was like fourth, fifth grade, so yeah. rough. Like, to be honest, I can hear, I hear people, you know, you talk about your, like, school career, and be able to name teachers. Yes. Like, even when we had dinner at your house the other weekend, um... Your sister was saying, like, oh, my first grade teacher and my reading readiness teacher. And I was thinking to myself, I don't remember any teachers. And it's probably because I blacked it out. Yeah. It was, like, a negative. I was new. I hated it. And I, like, blacked it out. That wasn't a good experience. And I didn't have, 
a traumatic chronic illness diagnosis. Like I just can't, I think of that often, how I hated school and it was, I, I remember being new and that first day and how I was just so nervous to like integrate into this new community yeah. and I can't imagine it having that on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. And be, why don't you be, you know, be bald. Yeah. Be a bald freshman yeah. girl. Yeah. That sounds like Terrible. hell. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, I, and we, I think everybody in their life just assumes them to be like, okay, yeah. just try it. You'll be fine. Yeah. And it's so just nerve wracking and, I we joke all the time that we feel like yeah we're we're teachers but it almost feels more like you know we just have these therapy sessions with yes. families and yes. parents and yeah. child yeah definitely in which you know we are not therapists no. we don't claim to be or give no. <laughs> we'd like to see more therapists yes <laughs> in our clinic talking yeah. to our families but it just this is just um, school is definitely yeah hot topic a hot topic hot for our stress. families and our clinic a big stressor mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I don't I don't think either you or I thought this is where our teaching careers would be no but I love it yeah. I really cannot even fathom <laughs> being in a classroom or it's like this is my calling for sure yes it's um, in a lot of people I'm sure say this to you too. Um, I don't know how you do it. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. What do you think of, like, what do you say to that? I usually say the same dang thing, and I've been saying it for a long time, but it's... Because you've worked in this setting for 10 years? Yeah, this is my 11th school year. 11th, and I'm about on my 5th. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah what were you going to say, though? But it's just, I mean, yeah, sure, there's sad moments, absolutely. I mean, with not everything has a positive outcome, but they're... Children are resilient, and they just want to be kids. So yes. if they still yes. just, like, want to laugh, and they want to do normal things, mm-hmm. and they want to play, and mm-hmm. they want to do school, and they want to talk and, you know, not always talk about what's happening to them and, and things like that. So it's not always, you know, every day is just a downer. It's it's also very uplifting, and it, it has always put my life in perspective of, gosh, you know, not that I can't ever complain about something that I'm going through, but it's like there's so many little like angelic heroes, honestly, that's what they are, that walk into this building and they have absolutely so many things that they're going through that they mm-hmm. shouldn't have on their plate at age 5, at age 10, 12, 18, whatever, and they just keep, keep on going mm-hmm. and keep going through, you know, trying to get on top and get out of their situation and or live with something that they'll they'll never you know for some of our other chronic illnesses and things that we see it's you know it might be an ongoing you know illness that they have and so it just it's and a, even in oncology we see mm-hmm. that kids with brain tumors that will yes. never go away they'll yeah. have to li- learn to live with this yes yeah and they're pretty resilient I mean they you know yes they have many challenges but they still want to be kids, and so it's also fun to be yes. here, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. But oh, I would totally agree, and the word resilient is absolutely what I would, if I had to pick one mm-hmm, word to, to describe mm-hmm. and capture our population and the kids that we are just honored, and I truly feel that way, honored mm-hmm. to work with every day, would be resilient. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are optimistic in the face of yeah. so much pessimism mystic yeah. stuff yeah. I mean they are I mean 
it's pretty wild to me um, just how positive and how much joy they bring to our clinic when you wouldn't necessarily think that that was in the beginning of my career here at Riley we we were kind of all the teachers who worked here were kind of all over the place so we worked with all populations and I did work with the cancer kids sometimes but for a long long time I I have not specifically worked with oncology for several years until the last you know three three years and we're going on our fourth school year here in this oncology clinic um but it just, um, I don't, I don't even know how to really describe it, but you watch these families, um, you know, cancer gets a lot of, I feel like attention and awareness and money even and things like that, because you can like see the kids being sick because they lose their hair usually. And it's an easy thing to, you know, there's cancer all over the place. Adults get it, children get it, whatever. And so people It's touched can, a lot of lives. Maybe yeah. you can relate to it and yeah. connect with it. And sometimes, you know, in other populations I've worked with in the past, you're like, gosh, it's just, there's so much, there's so much given to that population, you know, but there's so many other things that could be done. But then now working specifically with them, I can understand a little bit more why, because it's like, Okay, these kids are normal, usually normal, functioning families, um, and they really are getting hit by a trauma that changes their lives, and their lives will literally never be the same. And not even in a negative way, but it just, it changes who you are, and sometimes makes people a better and stronger person. Sometimes it makes a family, um, you know, grow apart, come together. There's just, there's a mix of things that can happen, and they really need... A lot of love and support um, you know from every aspect there's things like just even when we say oh my gosh I wish we could have more counselors in our in our clinic and things like that and therapists and I would love to see art and music being able to go down there because those are things that these these kids need to be mm-hmm. able to heal it's not just about okay well your treatments chemotherapy or your treatments radiation yeah, yeah. it's what is well, how can we treat you for your mind how can we treat you yeah you know if you spiritually if that is you know your thing or how can we treat you as an, an overall human being um and so it's it's um yeah, it's the total oh, wellness yes. of the child. Yeah. It's not just curing them of their cancer. Yes. How yeah. many aspects of their life is impacted by it? Yes. And I'm glad you said it's you know it's this trauma that happens to the family because I do think of it, and I don't think I did before working yeah. with oncology, but I do think of it as this trauma bomb yeah, that just it, explodes it into like a, a normal disease. life. Like, yes. But it is a trauma. And it's it's just boom. Now, Mm -hmm. everything you know from your daily schedule to what the future holds to, um, you know, and I I think I even think about our families as they get to that phase in treatment where they're starting to come a little less. Like, um, so like leukemia, you know, two to three year treatment and um, our kids get to a phase called maintenance. So, um they're you know out of the out of the intensive beginning stages and they're coming once a month they're coming a little less and we hear families all the time say it's almost like my anxiety grows at that time because it's longer they're not here as much they're not actively it feels like we're not actively doing something to fight this cancer and and um 
this this hospital team and family that's rallied around you and helped really guide you in a time of a lot of uncertainty where you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to see us less and, um, you know, especially I think of like our kids that need to get scans, like that, that have tumors, our brain tumor families that'll say, you know, the anxiety yeah, up of waiting that. until that yeah. next MRI and hoping and wondering what that scan is going to bring. Yeah, And I think... Sorry. Um, I, that's another reason I love our role so much in our clinic is because, um, I think our families, for whatever reason, maybe it's because we're not medical in the medical side. I don't know. I'm totally speculating and I'd love to sit down and I know we'll get there as this podcast grows. And, um, cause I, you know, I'm so excited at the thought to talk to families deeply about this journey and and what it looks like and but I maybe I don't know but maybe because we're not medical what do you think that families open up to us more about those feelings like feeling more anxious when maintenance phase comes or even like you know our family's saying we ring the bell and we're you're cured and you have no more cancer but I've heard families literally compare that to jumping off a cliff yeah and that it's what comes next and I think I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Why do you think that we get to hear that vulnerability and parents say those things to us that maybe they don't say to their providers? Because just the other week we were talking about how a family, a mom said that. Now we're in maintenance phase. We're coming less. My anxiety is crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got off the phone and we were sitting next to one of the providers, one of the physicians. And I could tell he was really engaged and interested to hear that conversation mm-hmm. and was like, wow, yeah. really? Yeah. Whoa. So what do you, think, what do you I mean, think? I do think that there's something to be said that we are non-medical, so it's probably a little bit easier sometimes to have those conversations. One, because maybe sometimes, too, it's just we have the time to have those conversations and we're asking yeah. the right questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, I sometimes just even think about my own doctor's appointments with my own kid and, you know, the physician is in, out, wants to make sure they do the checks and what they need to check off themselves, and it's kind of like, okay, go on to the next. Yeah. And not in a... I mean, I definitely think our physicians spend quality time, but I think just Absolute, the nature yeah. of you know, what they're trying to do, they don't have time and sometimes don't even have time to ask maybe the right questions. When it comes to the social emotional piece, Mm -hmm. yeah. And we can do that. And I also think, like you said, it's huge that we're not in there, like, we're not in there listening to them from like a, and when I say listening, I mean, we're not checking their heart rates, their blood pressure. We're not poking them. We're not, you know, we do nothing. We don't do anything medical besides take medical information and then hopefully navigate some things and provide family support. So I think in a sense, like, you know, advocate, advocate and advocacy, I feel like is the hugest word for our positions mm-hmm. because we can listen, mm-hmm. we can advocate not mm-hmm. from a school point, but we can also say like, Hey, Dr. So-and-so, we had this conversation. Are you aware of these needs? And then that can kind of And trigger. most of the time it's no. Yeah. They yeah. didn't tell me that. Yeah. Or I I did say, how's school? And they just said, fine. And then yeah. we walk in the room and they're like, it's so awful. I have, <laughs> I have severe anxiety. Yeah. Or they're not following through with X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think that. And there's something to be said about 
that general question. Like, yeah. I feel like over the last couple of years, we've kind of worked with that and trying to teach even staff to say, okay, well, how's school going? Most kids, whether they like school or not, whether they're healthy or not, will give the response. Fine. Fine. It's like if I say to you in the hallway, how was your morning? Yeah. And if you were late Good. and your daughter puked on you and yeah, you... you don't, we don't... You, like, beings, you're not going to say, well, actually, yeah. I had the most <laughs> awful morning. You're just going to say, fine. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's funny because I did read somewhere a long time ago, which is actually, I think, something my older sister who knows everything about everything in the <laughs> blog worlds of life, but she said our culture in America out, is so, like, that's just how they are. Like, mm-hmm. we'll say, how are you, or what's up, or whatever it is, and it's always, like, fine. a general, fine, good. Yeah. So I sometimes really try to work on Penny on who it is, like, really tell somebody, like, oh, I'm okay. It's been a rough morning. Or, you know, yeah. good. It's yes. been a great morning. And Same. Like, and sometimes people don't know what to do with that. You'll yeah. say, like, oh. well, I had a rough morning, and they're like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. This, this is not what I was looking <laughs> no, for. No, I was looking for a good and you would walk away yes yeah but same thing school that you have to absolutely you have to ask the right questions nitty gritty like what are your grades are you attending school how are your friends like do you feel like you know you just have to get nitty gritty or even sometimes I'm saying like what tell me one specific thing that's going that you're you're happy with yeah and tell me one thing that you think could be better yeah and then they're really and then being okay with the silence yeah that follows because let them think yes don't silence is uncomfortable so often I feel like and two probably getting back to like time is valuable go 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 you know there's so many families in the clinic but you know it's gonna be okay if you just sit and let them stew on it and think and yes not answer for them yes you know let the silence silence is okay let them process it a little bit yeah give you an answer if they can so yeah yeah it's gonna be fun this podcast is gonna be fun yeah, I can't, I can't, I think that there are so many possibilities for it, and I think, so that's a good segue into talking about, so kind of a little brief, you know, description of what Amy and I do in clinic, but then why, why did we want to do this podcast? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we started talking about it a little bit in the beginning, but Donna, so she's our kind of school expert, life coach, Mm -hmm. so many titles there. So she was a principal for 30 years, right? For a while. She lived in Southeast. She's lived in Southeast Asia. Asia For like 20 plus with her family and kids. I think her husband is like a missionary. Mm -hmm. And um, so Donna is this really just mentor to both of us, Mm -hmm. I I would say, speaking for you. Um, And peaceful soul. Positive soul, um, but she just one day in clinic kind of turned around and said, "I think you should start a podcast." Mm-hmm. And I laughed and said, "That's so funny because I only listen to podcast. Like I'm so I." Podcasts Amy always crazy. says to me, "Oh my gosh, on your tombstone, I'm gonna put." And once I heard in a podcast because that's how I start start all conversations. So I remember her saying that to me and me laughing. And of course, I'm complete opposite. I'm like, "What is a podcast? Why do you listen to them?" Yes. <laughs> and so I don't know. Donna just got my head spinning with that idea. And at that same time that Donna had kind of introduced this thought of, "You guys, you should do this, Megan." And 
you, I just think you would be so perfect for it and you should do it. And then at the same time, Amy and I, cause like we said, we're, we're program developing what school looks like in outpatient. And so Amy and I are realizing that we need, we haven't, we don't have a lot of tools and resources to hand families. So can you imagine you just get diagnosed with cancer and here comes in the fifth person to see you that day to now talk to you about what school's going to look like. And we're going to throw around a bunch of terms like 504s and IEPs and case conference and homebound. And you don't know what any of that is. So, and in a moment of trauma, you're not able to like, what are you even able to process and soak in? So we were also finding like, we're telling family stuff and they physically, mentally, emotionally can't absorb it all. Yeah. So how can we, help with that so we thought okay well we need to like you know work with our forms committee and and put together a a pamphlet Mm -hmm. on what like 504 and IEP are and blah 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 and then Donna talked about this podcast and I thought well wouldn't it be cool if we could interview the DOE and say Mm -hmm. what is a 504 what is an IEP what if all the resources we wanted to give to families we could do in a podcast setting Mm -hmm. and then just with more conversation about this, it was like, oh, well, this could be bigger than just school. Mm-hmm. This could be talking to people about anxiety mm-hmm. or um, what it means to be a 16-year-old girl that's bald mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just well, the to- the conversations, I think, are endless. Mm-hmm. And um, even reaching out to our physicians and saying, you know, hey, we want some earput in, in this as well to share, you know, what's going on, what are your perspectives, how do you, how do you digest some of the things that you yeah. do every day, things yeah. like that, and hear from parents, that's going to be huge. Yes, and I think, too, that in our clinic, because of HIPAA, we're not allowed to, a lot of times, connect families that I think we would love to. I mean, you could have a 15-year-old, bald, young girl in infusion room 7 that's terrified of to start her first day of school. And an infusion room eight is mm-hmm. literally the same scenario, and I can't connect you guys. I can't yeah. share your personal private information. We're in a hospital setting, right. and so, and so often I hear our families say they feel alone, mm-hmm. they feel isolated. Family, friends, they don't get it. Yeah, they're seeking. For they're that sad connection. for you. They feel yeah. bad for you. But a lot, and a lot of times they don't even know how to appropriately handle or support families. Mm-hmm. Um, it's awkward. Yeah, and it's like scary and you don't know what to say besides I'm sorry and I think friends and family feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing so maybe I won't say anything so families feel alone they feel isolated and so relatable and that's most humans want relatable in a lot of things so for sure our families going through a cancer diagnosis they want to be able to relate and, and connect especially the teens and the yes. middle school kids they just want to be like like oh, I'm, yeah you have cancer too i'm not too. i'm not suck. alone yeah i'm yeah. not alone yeah and i think like take cancer out of it as humans all mm-hmm. we want in life is to be validated mm-hmm. and loved and to connect yeah and to have relationships yeah that's a reason that's like what makes us different than a tree <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're humans we have feelings that's yes. what makes us such unique mammals on this yeah. world world is, is our ability to have relationships and connect and how important that is to our overall well-being yeah. so I think that's a big hope for this for this mm-hmm. is to connect family Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. 
And I really quickly, because I know too, you have to, you have families to see today in clinic. Mm -hmm. But I did really quickly want to connect um, with you and talk about, so just recently, last week, your son, who is three and a half, um, was admitted to our ED on Sunday, Mm -hmm. and then... um, and went to the <laughs> went to and then was admitted to the PICU for three days because yeah. of breathing issues. Mm-hmm. So you were a patient at the place that you work with your son mm-hmm. for three days. Um, and I know that 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 was and you're also how many weeks pregnant are you? Yeah, I'm 34. <laughs> 34 <laughs> weeks this week. So that this that was, was rough. It was a rough time, but I just I do wonder, because in really quick before you answer, I just want to preface this with, and I know you'll probably feel the same, but when I, I worked here not as a mom, and I worked here as a mom. Mm-hmm. So when I came back doing? after having my first, my son, my first child, I almost instantly felt a different connection to this place and yes. to our patients and to our families as a mother. That made me empathize and connect with our families even more. Mm -hmm. I can vividly remember my first few weeks back Mm -hmm. from my first maternity leave (laughs) and being on the floor when I was in the inpatient setting and hearing little babies the same age as my little baby cry and really struggling with it. And Mm -hmm. I even know now when you and I are in clinic and we hear kids that are three and a half, because we both have sons that are three and a half, um, and I have a little girl that's one, and when I hear and see kids in this setting my own children's age, I'm immediately, like, relating and seeing my kid's face Mm -hmm. in that child. So Mm -hmm. I just know being a mom in this setting, you were connecting to families on a different level. I just think that you do. So I'm just curious now, also, going through what you went through with Nash, Mm -hmm. what's your... Well, I 100% agree with you because I can literally... The same... The same thing. I remember coming back and just struggling with being like, oh my gosh, I just can't. That baby's alone. Where is the parent? You know, yeah. just, just a different, you just have a different. Um, Wanting to hold and rock every crying uh-huh, child. Yes. <laughs> and it is empathy. You literally can put yourself in somehow that that scenario and imagine your child and whatever. And then when we were there, and this is not our, unfortunately, second rodeo um, staying at Riley, but this one was a little bit more severe because we ended up on the, the PICU, um, for a couple days and you're just, you have a different perspective and appreciation. I think just in general, um, just because it's my, it, it is my personality. I'm very sympathetic and I think I'm very empathetic to try to always, put myself in any parent's shoes that I've worked with at Riley or anybody, even the ones who might be, you know, the ones that are like the hardest family on the unit or they're difficult to work with or whatever. I just, it's easy to get wrapped up into, oh, this family is just, oh, they're they're one of those families. This is hard to work with. They're annoying, you know, whatever. But it's like, gosh, I don't, I don't know how I would be if my kid had cancer or if my kid had Oh, I'd Whatever. be blowing up that end yes. piece on every five minutes. Yeah, so it's... They've got a hangnail. Yeah. I mean, that would be me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then when you do, like, live that hospital <sighs> life, even if it just is for a couple days, your perspective grows even more. Yep. And you do notice all, like, the little things that... Like, I probably because I work here, I do see all the good things that happen. And we had an amazing experience in the emergency department that was the second time, and it's been great. Um, for most part, overall, when we were on the PICU, we had really great nurses and good interactions, but there were those few times where it was like, 
well, this resident didn't have, have like, that was very off, the way they conversated with us, the way they approached, our, you know, my child, Nash, and just, you know, and, and to have the background that I have, I can yeah. look at it a little bit different, but a lot of these families don't come in no. working in a hospital setting, so no. it's, it would set you off. Um, yes. You know, you're tired, you're not sleeping well, you're on a bench. Like, I mean, there's, I think... They try to accommodate you, but, you know, the families are here night after night, week after week, month after month. I do not know how they do it. I really do not. Yeah. Because I could barely take, what was it, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, three nights, four days, three nights of... And some of our kids, it's like, oh, 30-day yes. hospital stay. It's crazy. That's going to happen. That's more than that. And then there's, yeah, there's some that um, not anticipated. Yes. Yeah. Way longer. Yeah. But some of them, it's, that's part of their treatment is, yes. hey, and then you'll have a 30-day yeah. inpatient. And I even remember saying to my mom, actually, and my husband, when I left the unit for the first time, because, of course, my three-year-old is just was very clingy to me and wasn't feeling well. And, you know, I didn't leave that unit for, like, three, four days, and I went down to the pharmacy on the day we were getting discharged, and I was yeah. like, whoa, I'm, like, out of jail. Like, it was yes. weird to be walking around. Yes. Even Not going outside, unit. I'm sure. Yeah. So there, it's just like a different, you know, when you're cooped up and you don't want to leave your kid's side and you're, you know, even to have a moment of freedom, it's like you don't even want to because you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not leaving my child. And then there's that guilt and just, it's just hard. So I just, you know, we have to remember, we have to really try to remember, you know, meet our families halfway and um, more than halfway. I mean, meet them where they're at. That, that's what we should yeah. all be doing because it's. You know, do you remember ever being inpatient with Nash and thinking about what we do? Oh yeah, and thinking about yes. Do you ever in life? And I sometimes think... I, there were times where I was like, you know, you you even asked me, you're like, what if Nash was five, and he was in kindergarten, and somebody came in here and asked you about school, like, would you be into that? And I literally was like, no, because that's what we do. I know. We knock on doors and say, I know. Do you want me to? call school and get yes. homework so and I is think, that appropriate I think we it's even, a conversation to be had yes and we need to be careful too with our families to really do our research of when did they come in what are they going through are they would they be ready to be you know jumping on board with school and getting that going and and email us at lifting the fog l-i-f-t-i-n-g the fog one at yes. Gmail. Follow us on Instagram at Lifting the Fog One and comment and message on today's episode too because I would be so interested to hear from listeners and parents about about that. Yeah. When you're inpatient, do you want to be bothered? Do you yeah. want is you know school is important to you and your child, but, but is when that, is it? When are you ready? Yeah. When are you ready? Yeah. For that conversation. Yeah. Um we could go on and we really could. Um, okay, so also, before I let you go yes. and go work, mm-hmm. um, I want to introduce, so we'll have a couple segments mm-hmm. that we'll do um, throughout the show, one being high-low. So, hmm, do I want to ask you, what, what do you, what's your high-low of just being in our clinic um the high would probably honestly be just working this sounds so like uh, typical but just working with um 
the kids and the families one-on-one. I love also working with parents because I think at times that's who we're truly working with more. Like, yes, we're we're talking to the children because obviously it's about them and we were, but there's a lot of behind the scenes of talking to. They're the resilient ones. Mm -hmm. Lots of times it's us who's falling apart. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I just like love our staff down there. Yeah. We have, there are some really great NPs, nurse coordinators, um, physicians, and they value what we do. Techs. Yeah. They value what we do. It's everybody. And see our purpose and that there Mm -hmm. is a huge need Mm -hmm. for the oncology kiddos. And so that makes it, it just makes Mm -hmm. it worth it too, that it's like you're validated. What we're doing is validated, um, by people down there, but yeah, I would say those those two things kind of what's stick your, out to me. What's your low? Low is, I guess, I just feel like sometimes, um, probably like mo- a lot of hospitals probably feel this way too, we just need more of yeah things, more, more support. support. I would love mm-hmm. to see more support from a mental health standpoint for our population and um, just more resources that we could give to them and ways to connect families with each other, you know, going through... A, a big life-changing yeah diagnosis that yeah. I would say that's like the low yeah you know just giving them giving them things that they really need even I would I mean art and music to me is a huge I love both we need of those it. things we and need those it. kids mm-hmm. need though that to help in their healing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean they're children so you know they're not gonna yes I think it's great to say yeah there's counseling and you can sit and you can talk to somebody but, but kids don't want to sit and talk. it's hard for kids especially <laughs> little kids and, I don't want to and I'm yeah, an adult you know, yeah I'm 30 I'm 36 and it's like that's a hard thing to have a conversation yes. with a stranger yeah and you can express yourself yes. through art or music that's yes. so different you yeah. can learn so many things yeah so. Just, just things like that. I, w- I would love to see improvement in those areas, but, you know, we'll, I think we'll get there. I think having teachers is huge down there. That's yes. a big... That's a big step. Yes. I would also say, if I had to pick a high, you said, like, working with parents, mm-hmm. and I do think when a parent says to me, oh, my God, thank you, and you yeah. relieved stress from our family, yeah. I'm like... That feels That's good. it. That's that why I do this. Yeah. Because you were dealt cards. Nobody should be dealt. Yeah. And if I can just take a little teeny fraction of stress away from you, or if yes. I can take one thing off of a oncology mama's plate, give, give it, it to me. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that always feels good. Yeah. And I would just say a low would, of course, pro- you know, everything you said, wanting there to be more, 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 more support for them, but also of, and I know you feel the same loss when it does happen. Yes. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's just, um, I just always, my first thought is those parents Yeah. and you just want to scoop them and hug them. And that, um, I always think I'm so thankful to work in a job where I can go home and feel humbled every day. I don't think a lot of people get that. No. And we are, I check my ego, I check myself daily from this job, and I know you do, and I'm constantly thinking, look, that's hilarious that I drove into this place, ticked off about traffic. (laughs) Like, get over yourself. Yeah. You don't have, you, no. I mean, I have, I have two healthy kids, Mm -hmm. and I, every time that happens, I think, like, I'm just so thankful, and I'm just, you know, think of those parents that, um... 
had to go through what nobody nobody should have to go through. Life is definitely a gift, and it yes, is, I that's another reason why I love because you are reminded yes every day every day reminded just yes. to kind of put yourself in check just a little bit. Not yes. that you can't makes you, know, you want to be a better or, person. Mm-hmm, it does. These kids and families make us want to be better people. Yep. Yeah, and that's why sometimes, literally, it's like, yeah, these families, these kids, they are true, like, little angels, little heroes, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Because they're, they don't realize the impact they're, they are not even purposefully giving to other people that are interacting with them. Yeah, and they deserve our best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, and then we'll also be doing, like, rapid fire questions get to know you questions but we talked about getting into yeah okay so and then another another segment that I think I will get into and I'll do especially when we talk to families um is I wish so whether it's I wish my my provider knew I wish my teacher knew I wish my child knew Mm -hmm. I wish my friend knew I wish my nurses knew so will you do it I wish and you could pick do you could pick would you like to do like a I wish schools knew? Or I wish Gosh. families knew? Or I wish providers knew? Oh, this is rough. That's this a toughie. I know. I'm going to say schools. Okay. I wish schools, I wish schools, schools knew. Okay, what? Give me just a second here. What, Mrs. Boggess? So, <laughs> um, it's a and maybe it's not even what I wish they knew. Um, yeah. I wish that they, well, if we're going to say I wish they knew, I'll go back to kind of the beginning of our conversation where I do wish they had the tools in some part of either their education or their, um, you know, hours that they have to do once they're, you know, when renewing license, that there was a way to get them more education about working with students with cancer and or chronic illnesses because I just think there's not enough of that out there for them. Um, and in our state, unfortunately, I hate to hate on Indiana, but we just, <laughs> we don't have, we don't have great funding and, or I'm going to throw it out there, political support for our schools. So our teachers can't even really yeah. do what they need to be doing for Absolutely. our students. Um, but I would also love to, or wish that when we, when we come and are able to be a resource to them, that they really do wrap their arms and their hearts around our kids to really make sure that the plans that we create and the information that we do give them is taken and absorbed and then carried through. Absolutely. A lot of times I think there's just too much on their plate and we're just giving them more information. And we're outsiders. Who are you mm-hmm. coming in my school yep. telling me what to do yeah. with my group of kids? And yeah. I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. But just to know, I think you and I, you know, that's something we we started from the beginning with working more in an outpatient setting is to really tell teachers, hey, we're teachers too. We know that you guys have a lot on your plate. Yeah. You know, we want to work alongside you, not against you. We want to support you. Yes, we want to support you also because, you know, this might be the first time you've had a kid in your classroom with cancer. So, you know, just just knowing that that's where our intent is and, you know, because unfortunately there probably isn't a lot of education given to them from the get-go of whether finishing school or renewing licenses or yeah. another 20 years into teaching yeah. than to really utilize us. Mm-hmm. But so your, one. So your, your wish? Man. I mean, I would 
I could piggyback off that. And if I had to say, so basically, I would probably have the same wish, but if I could summarize everything you said in a sentence, maybe like my, my wish would be for educators globally, yeah. nation, you know, across yes. our nation globally, um, to have more of an understanding and education on how to support kids with chronic illness because mm-hmm. teachers become teachers because they're passionate about kids. Yeah. It's not because of the pay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not because of the great hours no. um, because that's, that's fake, fake news. Um, they're working all the time and they're hardworking Sometimes super underappreciated, definitely underpaid. Mm-hmm. So they go into it because they love kids and yes. they love all kids. Yes. They, when there's bumps with not supporting in the road, with not supporting a kid with a chronic illness, it's because, because, they, because they, don't they don't know. know. Yeah, it's they, because they yeah. don't know. Yeah. So if they had those tools yes. from the gate, if they, in their formal education, you know, somebody said, this is what leukemia looks like and this is, these are some of the side effects these kids will have. Yeah. And just when, they're, when their hair grows back, it doesn't mean that they're better. Right. They're still, they're still fighting. And these yeah. are the things that they need. Yeah. I think that families would have an easier time and we would, you know, we would have a, wouldn't hit so many roadblocks maybe. So yeah. I would, I would yeah. um, I say I agree with your wish. Beautifully said. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love you. Same. Um, yeah, and preface, you know, Amy and I are besties for the resties outside of work. <laughs> so, um, and then also coworkers. So we have a, a good relationship yeah. and I'm just pumped that you're going to be doing this with me. I love working you with you. Yes. And I just can't wait to see what the future holds for this. I hope that we are able to just talk to lots of families and patients and people with relationships with oncology, whatever that looks like. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I think of us doing this, I'm like, oh my gosh, families are going to listen to this and think, who are you? You don't even have a cancer <laughs> diagnosis and your kids don't. And what are you talking about? Yeah. So um, I worry about that, like that hopefully people don't think, you know, who's this lady? But I just, you know, well, we that's... do we do have a relationship with oncology mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we talked about what that looks like today, and I just, I think my goal and hope for this little baby of a podcast mm-hmm. is that it's for families. Yeah. It's a tool for them, yeah. for them to connect, for them to get resources from one another, for them to s- let the world know how they're feeling and what the world needs to do differently to mm-hmm. support them. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for yeah. joining me. Yes. Um. Follow us on Instagram yes. at Lifting the Fog One. Yes. Yes. Email we'll, us. We'll post a pic today. Oh yeah, we'll be posting a pic <laughs> on that page. Share it, like it. Yes. Um, love find, it. Comment. Yes. Love it. Comment. You can find this podcast on Spotify. You can find it on Apple Music. Yes. Like it, subscribe it, and rate us. Give us all the stars. Yes. Five of them. All yeah. five. Give it to us. And be generous. This is our first one. <laughs> yes, I know. Sorry for the knocking on the door and the phone no, ringing. But we'll get those kinks. We'll get those kinks knocked out. Okay. Love you all. Thanks, Thanks for everybody. listening.